everybody, this is Mariah Gates from Netflix, and welcome to another installment of Watching With. This is our feature-length director commentary podcast. This week, we're watching Fractured with director Brad Anderson. Hello, my name is Brad Anderson. I am the director of Fractured. This is a movie that is kind of in my wheelhouse. I've done other films like this that deal with a character who is sort of going through this um, quest to discover something about himself, to unlock a mystery, to solve a puzzle. Movies like The Machinist with Christian Bale or uh, one of my earlier films, Session 9, which is in some ways very much akin to this movie, also set at a hospital about a man who is struggling with a kind of psychotic split, as you'll uh, realize from watching this movie as well. So it's a script that I got, um, you know, was, was was given to me probably because it's in the genre that I like to play with. And uh, I really responded to uh, the story and the character and the challenge of uh, bringing it to life. And, uh, and so we set forth a couple of years ago to make this movie, which we're about to watch. And supposedly everyone who's listening right now has watched it. So um, in <laughs> yeah. case you haven't, like, Spoiler watch alert. it and then watch it again with us. Um, there will be spoilers. And we'll do a countdown real quick, and then people can press play. We'll do this like three, two, one. Oh, cool. Okay, so three, two, one. We're pressing play. And the movie is now playing. We are now watching the the logos of the three producers who helped uh, bring this movie uh, to life. Um, we shot the film... Uh, for those people who are into the sort of logistics of movie making, we shot it over the course of 33 days um, in Winnipeg, uh, Canada, um, during the fall and winter of, uh, of during the fall and winter in, in that uh, place. And believe me, it was quite cold. Um, uh, but we wanted a place that uh, a look for the film that that was sort of desolate and austere that kind of matched the tone of the story. And Winnipeg is a very flat, uh, cold, windswept kind of land world, and it sort of fit within the context of our story. This uh, opening imagery is really stunning. Yeah, I wanted a, I wanted a, a shot or just an image that, that represented, you know, quite literally going into the brain of a person. And if you look at that clearly, closely, that, that first MRI image, you'll see some little anomalies on the brain that are meant to maybe give a little sense as to what might have happened to this character, Ray, who we're about to meet. And here we are in, in, in Winnipeg flying over the prairie in the middle of the winter. Again, I love the, simp- the, simp- the sort of emptiness of these landscapes. That's what attracted me to this to doing it here in this in these locations, and the music. I'll say something about it. We wanted to do a, a score that was sort of classical, like traditional, but also was a little strange. And the the simple, the simple like piano notes that kind of had a, they were a little off key, a little detuned, to kind of maybe match a little bit about what's going on in the head of this character here that you're watching, Ray. Um, that was kind of the idea behind the score. I love that when you first see him, he's he's touching his head. Yeah. It like foreshadows a lot. That's a good point. Yeah, we wanted that first image of him through the windshield where you don't hear what he's saying. I mean, the idea was that like, you know, 
you don't you don't see his family. So it's a, just a guy driving alone in the middle of nowhere, ranting about something. Maybe he's ranting because he's nuts. Maybe he's sort of crazy. And then you realize, oh no, in fact, he's in a domestic argument with his wife. You know, you start to see that there's some context to it. But the idea is like in the story because you've seen it is that we're beginning to, you know, lay the set the stage for a character who is at a particular crisis point in his life, in his marriage, in his relationship with his wife, his, with his relationship with his daughter, his sense of low self-esteem, a guy who is kind of at the bottom of the trough and, you know, therefore maybe susceptible to, you know, uh, as we'll learn, a kind of psychotic break or a split or a fractured kind of psyche. Like this is, you know, kind of the notion of this character. So these scenes were uh, um, all shot on a green screen stage, obviously, and we comped in or, or digitally put in the backgrounds that you're seeing um, by driving by. Lily Rabe, who plays his uh, his wife, is a wonderful actress. We wanted someone who could really bring the uh, the tenderness, the vulnerability, the emotion to this woman who sort of just wants to have a normal relationship with a guy who's become quite aloof um, in their marriage, who's sort of you know, kind of not quite there. Um, there are little small hints in this dialogue about, you know, about what's up with Ray. Um, yeah, I think the um, his I'm a safe driver, I'm at 55 miles an hour really comes back. Yeah, it's a, it's later. it's set up here that he's a guy who who plays by the rules, who who uh, who wants to be, you know, who, who doesn't take risks, um, who's not who doesn't you know, rise to the occasion when he needs to be a hero. And then later when you realize that he's weaving his own narrative as a hero, you kind of understand how he's compensating for the, his real life, which is kind of one of being kind of a homely, non-heroic person. Yeah. This little girl, Lucy Capri, was a, quite a fine, a, a sweet girl who uh, we wanted to, you know, she's sort of the pivot point in the movie. Her, what happens to her momentarily is the thing that sort of drives the whole story. And we just wanted someone who's a girl who's just natural and felt real. And, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, you know, you always got to look around for uh, young actresses like that. They're, and when you find them, you, you know, you feel like you found a diamond in a rough. Yeah, of. she's she's stunning in this movie. Um, I was looking this song up and it's <laughs> it's a Peggy Lee song. Right? I think she I think she sang. Maybe she I don't know if she originated it or maybe she did a cover of it. But uh I think it might have been like more of a child's song that she did a rendition of. Mm. Um, but it's meant to be – the song obviously is reprised later in the at the end of the movie um, when Ray begins to sing it to kind of – because it's their little thing that he and his daughter have, a little song they sing together, a cute little way that they can bond. And, of course, uh, at the end of the movie we'll see him do that same thing. But this time the song takes on a more sort of spooky uh, implication. And she's dressed in a lot of yellow, and it's pretty much the only color you see at the beginning of the film. Yeah. Is that, was that yellow, was like, purposeful? Uh, just uh, no particular reason why it was yellow. I mean, you know, you only have a certain number of colors you can play with, really, and red seemed a little on the nose. And yellow is just, uh, I don't know, there's something a little sickly about it. It's a kind of, you know, ugly color in my mind, and I like the idea that it, it's uh, it's sort of the a color that um, – Later on, when Ray's in the hospital, he'll see 
he'll see some objects that have that same color that that evoke or trigger memories of this accident that's about to happen. So you don't see a lot of yellow in the movie except for her except her coat and how and her scarf and how it relates to this character, his daughter. Um, we made this... a choice to pull all the yellow out of the movie except for that. I you know that makes more sense. or less. Was this um, roadside place actually called Pit Stop, or did you like make an? It was an abandoned, uh, an abandoned. Um, by the way, this little shot here of her painting the so the red bird, the red cardinal. Just keep an eye on that because there's a little little Easter egg moment later on in the, in the movie where he sees that same bird. Oh wow! But here he is, a man who's just sort of like at wit's end. He sort of feels the loss. He, he senses his everything's falling apart for him. This is where. This is how we kind of set the stage for a guy who's vulnerable to this psychological, uh, you know, damage that's about to happen. And this is a big moment. It's meant to be a moment where we learn that he was an alcoholic later, and here he is. Is he giving in to his urges? And I like this moment because, like, he's made. It, he has to make a choice between like, what's he going to take? Is he going to take yeah. the the batteries or the booze or the soda, the coffee? Like, here's that moment of him making the choice and this weird woman who's sort of judging him. And then when it cuts, we realize he didn't get the batteries. So d- does that mean he got the little booze bottles yeah, and he's drinking again? That's and, what I wanted to ask. Like, well, that's like, that's we, we, we wanted to, to keep it a little ambiguous, you know, not be definitive about it. But, mm-hmm. you know, he's drinking the coffee pretty – he's sucking it down. Maybe, maybe there's something in that coffee. And, of mm-hmm. course, if that's the case and it only amplifies his guilt later when he realizes that he wasn't fully responsible for watching his daughter and when she has her accident, like maybe that's part of the reason. Mm-hmm. And, of course, when we learn later at the end of the movie that the other accident that killed his first wife and unborn child was also a result of his drinking. So this is kind of like history repeating itself potentially. Yeah. But we like to keep it ambiguous. There's yellow again, you yellow know, the again. yellow ch- the yellow color that – Sort of uh, is sort of like a warning color, if you will, you know, the color of danger. Um, so this sequence is the whole sequence where the little girl um, has her accent. And we wanted it to be very uh, just kind of naturalistic and plausible. This is what my car looked like when I was a kid. <laughs> I definitely was the one. A little, yeah. Well, like, when you have a kid, too, right? when you have children. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> There's a line he has here, just kind of throwaway, where he says, what if I wanted to sell this car? Because now it's stained. Yeah. I love his delivery. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's so funny. I know. He's just struggling. So she sees a little balloon that, you know, that will, again, figure in later when when Ray goes back to the hospital. And it's just a, you know, just a sort of throwaway little moment of a girl curious about this shiny little object. And. It draws her closer to what we'll learn is sort of the the danger zone. Um, she hears something and looks over. And that's meant to be a dead rabbit, by the way. It's a little okay. subtle. But the dog is meant to be a little menacing. The dog, ironically, um, we like we wanted to, you know, in the, in the script, the dog was written as snarling and barking and really angry. Yeah. But this dog didn't do that because it was really a sweet dog. But I, I kind of find it even spookier the fact that it doesn't it, make it any is noise. Really creepy because you don't, you can't gauge right like, what it's going to do. It's because it's not a sweet looking dog, but sweetness not... isn't necessarily you know what they look like. Exactly. So you don't know. The dog, by the way, was deaf. It couldn't hear. So oh, wow. every time it turned, like it turned there, they had to actually do a, 
they had to wave to it to get its its attention visually. What kind of breed is that? I can't even I tell. I can't remember. So this sequence was, you know, pieced together from stuff we did on location. We did it on stage, the falling. Oh, there's a, this is a pivotal moment. I love the way you use sound in these big moments. Yeah, we're kind of really slowing set. down the sound. Yeah. So here we cut to, you know, the aftermath of this accident. And um, this is where things get a little weird. This this voice he hears off camera is meant to be a memory of an earlier accident in which his wife and unborn daughter died. And he's kind of, his mind is beginning to meld the two things together. That's kind of what's happening. You can see here this this little shot of the spike sticking up. It just yeah. shows how, what a close call it was. But then later we're going to realize how his wife was killed. <laughs> It'll make some sense. Yeah. the I think the cut that's coming up here where it shifts from what really happened to what he's imagining happens. Yeah. I love the way it's done where you – it almost isn't a cut because it's just the way you pan mm -hmm. on his face. Yeah. And you're like, did we see what we thought we saw because it's all blurred, but then everything's okay and you're like, is it okay? Yeah, I no, don't is know. It? Like, this, this was a real sound design s s section where – we're in Ray's head. We can hear him breathing, his heartbeat. We can't hear her screaming, her agony. We're meant to really be in his state of mind, which is like a little bit, well, not a little, but quite beginning to go into a state of psychotic kind of delusion. And this little moment here, it's subtle, but we needed to imply that he pushes his wife away. Later at the end of the movie, we'll realize that he, he accidentally kind of off, kills his wife as well as well. Yeah. But this is the moment you're talking about. This yeah, is this is so right here good. with the music swelling. He shuts his eyes. There's like a this is the what we'll call the the fractured moment mm -hmm. in the story where he then hears his daughter and you know she seems to be okay and she's hurt but she's not and, dead. And Lily's still on the other side. Right. Yeah. So you you could have just pushed her a little bit. Right. You don't actually know. So everything from this point on in the movie is we're in Ray's delusional reality, okay? We're in his hallucination. He's creating or weaving together this false narrative that his daughter survived and that he is now going to become the hero and take them to the hospital and do what a, a real hero needs to do. Mm -hmm. um, and we shot to... it in a different way, too. We we used different lenses. We never – we kept the characters isolated in the frame. Like, you never see them really together, mm -hmm. particularly he and his wife. They're always kind of separated we did some different things with the sound design um, to give it a little bit more something that's slightly off. Um, they're out of focus quite a bit, you know what I mean? It's it's meant to feel very slightly different than the other parts of the the more the real objective part of the storytelling. So here Ray, you know, he's taking action. He's he's being he's being um, a man who can control the situation, you know, whereas before his wife was complaining about his lack of connection. Yeah. And did he just put that blue blanket on her in that moment? Yeah. And that's the blue blanket that comes up That's the same blue later. blanket that we'll see at the end of the movie mm -hmm. that's kind of used to cover the bodies. You know, yeah, now he's kind of... going 70, right. finally. So, right, now he's like now a he's NASCAR driver, right? Yeah. He's like... He's obviously 
and and even here, like whenever he looks back at them, there's they're isolated. They're never connected in the frame. It's there's sli- something slightly off about it. So yes, he's he's racing back to the hospital, um, and then in the reflection, often we see that his wife and daughter in reflections. They're not mm. real. They're 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 illusions. Um, this part's really right. terrifying. Like I don't like it. I grew up in the middle of nowhere, so we had a lot of roads lot of like this. Calls. And I just like my dad was always that one that was like, "We can make it." And I'm yeah, like, "No!" But then if a bird showed up, he would like swerve for the bird. It was, you know, <laughs> nice. wasn't fun. So here they arrive at the hospital, and this is sort of the spooky hospital um, that in outside of Winnipeg that we that was a that was not being used that we were able to shoot at. We basically oh. owned the place. So it was like an abandoned hospital. Yeah, an abandoned, another abandoned hospital. Wow. Um, but it was. I thought it worked out well because it's there's something kind of weirdly banal about it, and it's not like a big hospital, but it's like kind of feels like a country hospital where weird stuff could happen. Yeah. As as someone who grew up in a country hospital, you, you know, I feel yeah. it. I feel it <laughs> deeply. Yeah. So this is you can see like just the way we the the use of the lenses in these like see how they're always out of focus in the background. We never kind of like connect the characters in the frame. They're always either his POV. We actually had the actors when they you know are looking at each other. They're looking much closer to the lens, so it feels like they're almost looking down the lens, which Mm -hmm. kind of gives it a more uh, uh, subjective point of view. You know what I mean? Everything's a little off. The extras casting here, the just the casting of these administration women, they're so terrifying. <laughs> yeah, so we're also beginning to to start, uh, you know, teeing up this idea that maybe something's uh, something is wrong with this hospital. That something uh, there's some kind of thing going on at this hospital that's bad, right? Like that it's that it's um, that um, there might be a a plot um, that Ray's later going to, you know, try to discover. I thought the uh, use of blinds in the waiting room area, it changes like a couple different ways, mm. but it's ominous each time. So first it's behind her, it's blinding white. And then later when they're sitting, like you'll see it's... There's like bars. Yeah. And then later, later, later when there's like that knitting lady, they're super terrifying. Oh, wow. And that's cool. It, yeah. And almost like prison bars. Yeah. Yeah. Really makes it kind of noir. So this is a weird little moment where you know, what does it mean? It's it's really just like this is all Ray's in Ray's head, if you will. It's almost like a dream. Um, oh, there's a reflection. And so about. in dreams, weird, inexplicable things happen. Like people are there and then they're not there. So we're trying to kind of set up the idea that like everything in this sequence of the story is 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 off, is slightly, uh, you know, unsettling, like something's a little different about it. Um, this little moment where he signs in is a story point that will figure in later when he, you know, claims that he was there. He signed in. The, mm-hmm. where, you know. Now, this weird little moment where, you know, they're talking about blood types and sending him down to Dr. Bertram, it's, you know, it's all meant to kind of fuel Ray's, be, start to fuel his suspicions that this place is off, that they do something weird here, yeah. you know? Like, there's a, there's a sub-story about, you know, that the that the hospital is part of some kind of organ smuggling cabal or ring, and 
And in reality, that's not what the, the, the notion is. By the end of the movie, you you you're hoped your your the hope is that you realize that that's not really the case. That Ray fabricated this conspiracy in order to sort of make himself even more of a hero in yeah. a way. Um, but it's it's a misdirect, right? It's it's how we hopefully kind of misdirect the, into thinking the that MacGuffin, the hospital is the bad if guy. You will. Huh? The MacGuffin. The MacGuffin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a MacGuffin. Um. Yeah, that was the shot where they first are sitting there and it sort of oh, when you're shoots up down from them a little bit and the angle on the, on yeah. the blinds change a bit. It's super, oh, yeah. super creepy. I like this little scene. It's kind of weirdly sweet but also haunting. Like something about her and him, like they're laughing but they're disconnected. Again, like she's an out-of-focus like, specter behind him, you know. And it's like the... Normally, in, in, you know, normally you would focus on her now, but, you know, the fact we kind of kept away from doing the more normal cinematic approach. And then here's the her head hurts. Right. Again, a little right. a little uh foreshadowing of the end of the movie. Um so here Ray's trying to be like, you know, I'm the hero. I'll get, I'll make you feel better. I'll I'll provide you with soft drinks. And yeah. Take my daughter to the hospital so she can be helped. Um and this is Another beat of uh, fueling something that is strange at this place. You know, like, what are they doing? Why are these people exchanging boxes and envelopes? Is there some, is this hospital, you know, uh, is this something weird at this hospital? I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of what you're trying to set up here. Here's a really clear-cut allusion to Ray trying to acknowledge that he's a hero as well as this guy. Sons, husbands, yeah. fathers are heroes. You know, that's me. I'm a hero. <laughs> yeah, that's a good moment. Um, like, again, if you imagine if, you, if you're creating your own reality and you want to be, uh, you know, the, the, the star or the hero of your own story, then you're going to fabricate scenes in your story in which you – that only enable that, 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 uh, that idea, you know, that you're – this moment where he says, I just work there, and then she's like, he's the assistant manager. <laughs> right, it's yeah. Like, it's like she's she's just coddling him and, like, saying what he wants to hear. Yeah. She's particularly creepy. Yeah, she's creepy. really yeah, – like, she's, she's quite – Real good. So here we learn about Ray's ex-wife who – or his, his late wife who died in an accident, um, which will pay off later. I like the scene because it's just it's 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 excruciatingly banal in all the information, but there's something like odd about it and weird and and super frustrating as as someone right. who you know goes well, the, to the hospital a lot. It's this is what it's like. The bureaucracy you one know? goes so yeah. It's... The writer Alan, who wrote the screenplay for the movie, he uh, based it on his own experience bringing his daughter to a hospital when she actually broke her arm, I guess, in reality and dealing with the levels of bureaucracy just to try to get her to see a doctor. And that frustration um, kind of resulted in him. Uh, I Yeah, I can feel that. Like, emergency rooms are terrifying. And here's that weird, like, blood type thing. Like, what's that? Again, a little, like... <laughs> what are they, what is she implying? Yeah. Like why would like, you need to know what this? my daughter's blood? She's just broke her arm. 
I mean, it's meant to be a little on the, a little over the top. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Because again, like everything in his fantasy or in his delusion is a little heightened. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like almost like a characterization of reality in a way. Mm. Yeah, this is like everyone's nightmare right here. It's like you're traveling and your insurance. Right. It's like, oops, sorry. And it's like, why, why do I have insurance? All right. Yeah, that's – I've actually, like, had a surgery where I had to pay $1,200 oh, before really? they yeah. would – not in well, it was credit card because I'm I'm a millennial. I don't have any money, but um, it was really weird because they didn't tell me that I needed to do that until oh I was like, like there for the surgery. On the operating table. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it's like that's how hospitals are, you know. This is a subtle moment, I, I think. Uh, maybe not everyone picks up on it, but that woman is the same woman at the it's the cashier at the gas station, and the notion here is that okay, well. If if that's the case, then what is she working? What is she at the hospital? Is she part of this conspiracy? That's what he's sort mm-hmm. of maybe that's what's feeling it feeling Ray's paranoia. But in reality, you know, in this in the context of what's really happening is Ray is transposing characters from reality into his fantasy, right? He's taking that character of the woman. Oh, there's the bird. And there's the little bird that she was painting, you know. It's uh-huh. like he's sort of mixing up reality and fantasy, right? He's mixing he's 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 uh importing Moments from the first part of the story, which really happened into um, into his fantasy, and here's the yeah. balloon that was at the at the and site. And the head-on collision is with right. the alcoholic. Is that like really what happened. happened? Yeah, exactly. Like his... So it's all meant. You know, these are little. I guess you can call them clues as to something that's off. But the idea is that Ray's interpreting it more as like it's the hospital that's 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 got that's wrong, not mm-hmm. me. You know, the hospital's the is the is 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 the problem? So this got a huge like applause at Fantastic Fest because everyone loves Stephen Hilberti. Like <laughs> he's good. He's so good. Well, we wanted a guy who's very innocuous, like seemingly like the the the, the country bumpkin doctor. You know, like he's yeah. just this goofy guy, and there's nothing menacing about him on the surface. But then later, like because of that very reason, he becomes sort of suspect. You know? What yeah. I mean? He's he like a, he's too he's too like affable and friendly in a way. He has a line here that is so good. This part. That's that <laughs> moment where you're like, all right, oh, hmm. who is this guy? Yeah, I like this line too. Or like, why reference that to that? You know His what I mean? reaction <laughs> is so perfect. Like, what? All right. Again, every I like this is another scene that is seemingly banal in its information, but there's there's just weird little offbeat moments in it, you know, like that just are strange to me, like just the lines and also Thanksgiving setting this at Thanksgiving is so perfect because tensions are already all right. It's usually the time so when families break into into fights and right mm-hmm. the, the the family tension and she's so young that she's probably not part of that yet. So bringing her into it's really, like, makes it even worse. Yeah. She like, from Canada, Lucy, or the, Lucy Capri? No, she's from uh, Florida. Mm. Yeah, we looked at a bunch of kids as you do, right, and all over the country. But she was by far the best. 
she really feels supernatural. Like yeah, she's, she's just watching a kid be a kid. Yeah, and this is her first big movie too. She was so excited when we screened it down in Austin. So again, this is another. This shot shows you the the way we tried to separate Ray from his family. You know, he's on one side of the screen, they're on the other. It's always kind of like demarcated down the center of the of the screen. She's a little out of focus again. Right. Yeah. I mean, there. You know, some of it's subtle, some of it's not. But the eye thing here is another little moment. His weird little sort of overly excited about her eyes. Yeah. And later at the very end of the movie, we'll see these two bodies on gurneys, and one of them is missing eyes, the as eyes. if they harvested them. So this is, again, mm. fueling Ray's growing paranoia that something's not right at this place. Again, this I like. I'm. This is again that sort of thing where Ray's in the middle, sort of almost like he's not part of the scene, like he's almost on a different plane than they are. Um, trying to separate him from this, the the reality a little bit. Um, yeah, and this is I think the first time they mention how head injury can bring confusion, but then the word confusion comes up another yeah. eight times for the whole rest of the film because it's really him. Well, right. Having I mean, in some that, ways, the yeah. doctor is talking about Ray, right? And, yeah. And that's sort of the idea that we're we're meant to start to. I mean, you know, presumably people in the audience are beginning to pick up on like something might be wrong with our lead character, and you know that's okay. I mean, I think, you know, if if the if the misdirect is that people think, oh, they're dead, they're all dead, and this is all, uh, you know, uh, this is all a sort of almost like in Jacob's Ladder, this is all happening in the last little moment on the, on the, on the, on the, as they die on the operating table or something like that. Like that's, 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 that's cool. Like the idea is there's so many interpretations as you watch the film. And, uh, and I think some of this was designed to lead you down one path and, you know, there's little, Clues later that, that maybe Ray's dead. There's that kid again. He shows up a bunch. This kid is sort of yeah. He'll he'll figure in into the end of the movie. He's sort of set up here as a character who uh, is going down to get his organ fixed. Is that mm-hmm. his uh, appendix? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you see after the break here how much like warmer she is towards him. Yeah. He, yeah, she, she's probably not going to be that warm if she's like in the hospital with her right. kid. Right, like, it's almost too. too warm. It doesn't seem quite realistic. Here's the creepy dog again. The little dog will. Uh, all these little characters and, and these props figure into later scenes. Like the dog becomes a clue later on. It's a weird, weird thing to say yeah, about like a six-year-old. Like yeah. not a thing that anyone would say in reality. Um, and there's a mirror again. Yeah, here we're kind of – he's entering into the looking glass, if you will, you know, sort of going into something. So this is the sort of part where they separate. Um, and this is later at the end of the movie. This is where he goes in order to sort of think he's going to find his family who's gone missing. You know, and this is meant this little moment between the two of them. Um, is is again, it's like Ray's Ray's designed this moment in his head to be 
to make his daughter as loving and as appreciative of his of him being the hero as as possible you mm-hmm. know like i love you dad it's all so like what he wants to hear what he needs to hear and it's in her, his head right her asking for pizza unlike in the car when he was suggesting pizza yeah kind of right stuff. it's all like yeah. little verbal clues that are that are woven into his so now we're about to go back into objective reality in other words we're about to leave ray's delusional reality when the doors shut um, and they go down to the the proverbial lower level, which is meant to be some weird, mysterious part of the hospital where maybe bad things happen. Yeah. And if you just look at the the, the guy on the right, it's just something creepy about it. Yeah, it's really <laughs> ominously lit. Especially when we try to light it so they look a little creepy. But this little moment right here as we drive into Ray, and like he, even he starts to – something's not right. You know what I mean? Like something's off. And then this big dramatic like, like shift mm-hmm. into sound. You get the sun coming up. So here we now, and then even the color shifts to a warmer hue. Or you know, we were so cold throughout, and and now we move into like sort of afternoon. Yeah, and there's now, the blinds again. It's right, and now we're in a different look, terrifying. a different feel for the movie. Uh, again, as I said, sort of different lenses. And it's like he's waking from the dream. I mean, literally. I mean, everything we've seen, you could imagine, is his was in his dream. I mean, um, this guy shows up again. Yeah, this guy will show up at the end briefly. Um, the TV in the background. What is this? This like? is a just a nineteen fifties uh, educational movie about sa- driving, driving safely. I you love know? those. They're so fun. And there's that little clue, like where the kid says, "Do you mean I'll be dead?" And you know, again, a little. Little shout outs to the fact that, yeah. like, did is Ray, is everything played from the perspective of a, a guy who's already dead? Like, that's meant to be mm. one possible interpretation until you get to the end of the movie, you know. Um, this woman was, she really, <laughs> it was a really weird moment, but she just started falling asleep in the middle of the yeah, shot. Yeah, like crows, which is. The crows are, are sounds crazy. that we heard at the, you know, we heard the sounds of the crows at the, um, and there's the car. And what's creepy is at the end of the movie, you realize that. The bodies of his wife and daughter are in the back of that Been car, the you know. Whole like, time. Yeah. So it's you know a little perverse. And the police um, never check it. I noticed that, and I was like, I know. Maybe he didn't tell them he had a car. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Right. I don't think he did. I don't. Yeah. You can say that, right? That's a good. Idea. Um. So the music's a little again like sort of plaintive, spare piano. Um, if you there's a composer named George Crumb um, mm. who did a lot of like of these un, this detuned piano compositions and we kind of used a lot of his music um, as score. He, he didn't have that earlier, right? Now he's got that. Where so that like come the from? question is like why does he have a bandage? When did he get it? So he, he's there's some missing time in his story. He's not sure like why things happened the way they did. She's also amazing because it's like a different. The previous one, she was very like yes, severe, severe, and, and she's very warm, but still not giving any information. Right. She's a real receptionist. Yeah, I mean, she's yeah. like, this is we're in reality here, you know, as much as we can be, and and this woman is, um, you know, trying to be, you know, that usual like everything she says with a smile on her face, but she's not being not giving you not anything. Giving you, you need. any information. And then the mention of. Um, that mirror again. Yeah. Yeah. 
like the mention of Berthram. Yeah, shift changes are not fun. You know, so the idea is that like hours have passed. His wife and daughter have been down supposedly getting an MRI and they haven't returned and he's concerned. But he's not like, you know, to the point where. Yeah, this part. This is so good. It's a little bit of a shout out to the idea that, you know, that that's what happened, you know, what happened to his wife and unborn daughter that we learned at the end of they were in a head on collision. And then there's this, like, super creepy cut to the magazine. Yeah. And these are, like, little clues. I mean, originally, um, you know, like, what do you live for? Do you live for your family Mm -hmm. and know the signs? You know, some of it's a little on the nose, right? But, like, what are the signs if he has to pay attention because something's not right? Yeah. About something's not right with him. With him. You know? This this is the other version of the blinds that I really like. It's so severe on her and... The knitting is terrifying. I mean, this is sort of like, you know, Ray's having memory pops of his wife and daughter and starting to, you know, now his concern is growing. Like, wait a minute. They, where are they? They they should be here by now. And, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's starting to do what any father, husband would do, like find out what happened to his family. And he's starting to show some... Uh, you know, um, starting to be more proactive. Um, Kirkbride, by the way, Kirkbride Regional Hospital. Kirkbride was the name of the guy who designed mental hospitals back oh, at the turn of the century. That's a good name. Ja- I think his name was James Kirkbride, and he his he was famous for designing the layout of old mental hospitals. And the the movie mm-hmm. I did, Session Nine, um, which was shot at an actual abandoned mental hospital north of Boston. That building was called the Kirkbride Building, so we named the hospital. There you <laughs> the go. Thing, another little cinematic universe. Yeah. Now. And see, all the emergency workers have yellow jackets, like indicating. Here's another moment where we start to see Ray kind of starts to unravel a little bit. You know, like yeah, this score here. Feels very Hitchcockian. When, yeah. Right when you get that turn in a Hitchcock film. It's that. It's the like. Yeah, we definitely he, we definitely played into a little of those Hitchcock, those great Bernard Herrmann Hitchcock scores. Mm-hmm. And it it builds the tension. Yeah. Really well. He's starting like, to, and then the blood him. dripping down his head. You yeah, know, it's like it's perfect. All you do is just watch the blood as it drips. Um, this, this little note right here is beautiful in the score. Yeah, it's that uh, clarinet, I think, or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like where he's starting to doubt his own sort of memory. Like, how did he get this head injury? It doesn't make any. We don't remember that. This is one of those moments where it's like, you know, we've all had these moments where people are just completely blowing you off. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Because your life is, is, you're You're, the leading player in your life and they're supporting, but they're being leading in their own lives. And 
again, another memory flash. You know, the the, ye- the, the, yellow. the yellow is sort of meant to evoke the yellow of her jacket, quite literally, right? And, you know, you could interpret that in a really gruesome way. Like, what's what, what's in those yellow bags, you know? Mm-hmm. Is it, maybe in Ray's mind, there's, like, you know, body parts or something. Or maybe his wife and daughter have been, not to be ghoulish, but maybe they've been, like, chopped up and put in bags. I mean, this is yeah. sort of the... The the little the little like strains of of uh, creepiness that we wanted to kind of weave into this. Um, I love the guy behind him. He's such a great face too. He looks you can a only bit find like that in uh, Winnipeg. <laughs> he looks a bit like um, Nick like Cage. Huh? Like really? Not not Nick Cage. Nick. Um, oh, I know who you mean. Yeah, yeah. The, the uh, rock star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the bad seeds. Nick yeah. Cave. There Nick you go. Cave. <laughs> Exactly, Nick Cave. Yeah. He does look like Nick Cave, yeah. So, you know, Ray decides to take matters in his own hands and uh, and try to find him. You know, he's, he's you know, he's not going to sit back a, and like just... A uh warped mirror right there. Yeah, another yeah. kind of look through the looking glass moment. Um, you know, and this is just kind of meant to be a moment where that's where he last saw his wife and daughter. Is that them? Are they still there? And no, they're not. <laughs> so now we start to introduce, you know, the members of the hospital who are, you know, this is this becomes sort of the section of the movie where it's like Ray's trying to convince them that his family, you know, is is missing and he needs them to help him find them and. They're looking at him, you know, slightly suspiciously, like this guy, you know, he's got blood dripping from his head. He seems a little manic, like you yeah. know, maybe he needs help himself, you know. Yeah, and this actor playing the doctor is very calm but still a little creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the idea is like, you know, he's just trying to humor Ray, you know, like, well, let me see. Maybe maybe they were, maybe he did sign in. Like maybe, maybe uh, they were here earlier. And, you know, he doesn't – at this stage – Ray's got a case, you know, he's not, mm-hmm. he's not, he might, he might have some evidence that they were here and, but, you know, things start to accumulate. Like he's, he had, he, they don't find his name and they never checked in. So what does that mean? Here comes a Hitchcocky and so good. like. I don't know what a bass clarinet or something. Or yeah, oboe or something. Might be an um, oboe. And so here he sees that that nurse who helped him earlier. But this is her. You know, in the scenes where we met her before, that was Ray's version of her hallucination version of her. And here she is in reality, and she's like, "Yeah, she saw him, but he came in on his own." Which Ray's like doesn't make any sense to him because that's not what happened. Yeah, and this is where if you're really believing Ray, you're, you're thinking like, these wow, people are, are, are all part hiding? of conspiracy, right? There's a plot against Ray because they don't want him to discover, you know, what happened to his family. They're they're playing with his, they're toying with him. You know what I mean? Like messing with his head. That's mm-hmm. what he thinks. And they think that his head is messed up. Yeah, and he's you know? getting maced here, which is really right. really intense. But he's doing what any father would do, right? He's like he's not going to sit back and let these people tell him that he's crazy. I wonder how many, like, unhinged people actually show up in hospitals. 
every day. Because there must be a handful where people just right people the who, pressure just makes them crack. Right. Right. Oh, sure. I, I mean, know. Uh, I really like the actor playing the security guard. He's yeah, you know, he he kind of is. He has that vibe with the mustache. And yeah, he kind of is what Ray wants to be. Like he, his whole life, he is the hero. Right, right. You can tell he's one of those guys. Right, like gun. He's like a sort of a trigger happy dude. Yeah, he's like this is this is my hospital. You so know, at this guy. point, like, you know, the idea is the sedative is kicking in, and Ray's struggling to. Stay awake. Um, he doesn't want to give up. And so we, you know, we did some fun things with the sound design here, and mm-hmm. you know, Gets warping really, the image a little bit. You know, it's like really disorienting. Again, he, here he is, like seeing them laughing. Or they're all part of the conspiracy. They're all against me. You know, um, he's not going to let them, you know, win. So he's got to find a way to uh, to wake up. You know, and you know, he's in a hospital and. Adrenaline. See old, see adrenaline gag. You know, yeah, I know this really feels. <laughs> Pump yourself like up with adrenaline to get your, get to wake yourself like up. Like a Jason Statham kind of moment. Yeah, right. It's yeah, right. Yeah, all right. Especially because he does it like two or three times. Well, it's the like, gag is like the first one doesn't do anything, and then it's like, okay, well that didn't work, so yeah, we hit myself up with a couple more. It's really intense. And it's yellow, just like yeah, the yellow, right? Of know? course, yeah, the yeah, yellow meant to sort of too much adrenaline. <laughs> so now he's like transforming into some kind of creature. Yeah, the super, you know, hero that he wants to be. Right. Was that that like jelly glass? Yeah, it's a rubber glass. You yeah. know, just so sort of people don't get cut. So this is sort of like we're in Ray's head, if you will, uh, in the in this sequence as he sort of navigates through the hospital, looking for some clues as to what might have happened to his wife and child. Um, lots of weird sound design stuff going on in here. You know, yeah, kind of spooky. And well, in hospitals, just you're gonna see weird shit. This one's a little subtle, but this is the same guy, who, the orderly who we saw Bruce. earlier, but now he's like a doctor. And it's the guy. And it's the dude that was yeah. in the waiting room. And so now he's like, wait a minute. That guy, you know, helped us before, but now he's doesn't he's, seem to recognize me. Yeah, or and now he's, he's, he's a, a doctor. doctor. And like, how did he go from being an orderly to a doctor? I mean, it's a subtle, subtle shift. But in Ray's mind, it's like just more evidence that these people are hiding the truth. You know, they're. They've created a whole, uh, you know, sort of charade to keep him from discovering the truth about this place. And here's another little gross little moment where, you know, body, you know, medical Uh. waste. Could that somehow, you know, indicate this place is doing nefarious things? Things it shouldn't be doing. This uh, lighting when he gets to his car and it's suddenly like pure dark, yeah. I think is really oh, effective yeah. to show you like where he's at as a person. 
Well, this is Winnipeg. This is probably like four in the afternoon. Yeah. This is how dark it gets. It gets dark in northern Canada so quickly. You know what I mean? Hiding in a dumpster. What a clever man. He hides in the back of the back. <laughs> you know. Oh, I thought that was a dumpster the whole time. That is a pickup. Yeah, yeah. It could have been a dumpster. Yeah, too. no, it's some a lot good idea less too. gross. Here, yeah, this is the part where it's just so black. Well, this is also like the idea is like we're in the back of the vehicle. Like in reality, like where where the bodies of his family mm. are, right, are resting. Right you know, so that's what you don't realize it yet. But like we're kind of looking from the perspective of two bodies, which is you know in hindsight is kind of creepy. Now, of course, if Ray turned around right now and looked in the back, like what would happen? His whole mind would okay. shatter because. Yeah. The reality of what had happened would, would uh, come pouring in, but but you know he's he's uh, in serious case of denial, right? And there's the. This is a little memory evoking his daughter, and like you know, it's sort of like that moment where he can't give up, but he has no. He's at wit's end. He has no. He yeah. Know what? How he's gonna find them? He's you know he's sort of lost. Was... This was I gotta say for Sam uh, Worthington who plays Ray. I mean. The journey he takes in this movie was uh, exhausting for him. I mean, it was a tough process, always being keeping track of how much he knew, how much he didn't know, yeah. like how desperate he was, how heroic he was. Like we had multiple conversations as we went, as we were m- moving forward with the film, like about like the tenor of his character. Mm-hmm. So you want to sympathize with him, you want to kind of be on his side. At the same time, you want to build some suspicions about him. So it's finding that balance is tricky. Yeah. But I think he did a great job in terms of, like, you know, the emotional wreck that he becomes, you know? I like the bit where the police officer is like, is this a custody thing? <laughs> right. So, no, it seems plausible, right? It's a whole nother right, whole fish. Other, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, here he, he's he's corralled these two cops who uh, who might be able to assist him. And, you know, he's got some hard – he's got some evidence that seems plausible. It's just, you know, he, he's got a wound. He's – He's got pictures of his family, you know, so I think as cops, they would have to take it seriously yeah, at yeah, least enough, until. Enough probable cause right, exactly, yeah, look exactly. into it. So Ray's trying to draw them into his paranoid thinking, you know, that the, the hospital's behind their disappearance, not him, of course. So now we get into the kind of this is the part of the movie that's sort of like the you know detective work you know where Ray's trying to provide clues that that uh, that you know serve his purpose that bolster his case that the hospital's behind their disappearance and meanwhile the hospital staff are trying to defend themselves and say Ray's just it's a nut job you know so it becomes two two battling sort of points of view. Yeah. Sure did. Ward nine. It's another little shout out to my movie session nine. Yeah. (laughs) You always gotta like reference your own movies in your movies. Yeah. Might as well. Create that. 
cinematic um, universe. <laughs> right. So they go off to uh, the ward where he last saw his wife and daughter, or at least where they were being treated, and he confronts um, the doctor. And that's the truth. Mm-hmm. He did, you know. That was yeah. that's the reality of what happened. But you know, I mean, some of the, you know, we took some liberties with things like files getting missing, and there's some there's some convenient little tricks in the plot. But you know, some of it seems plausible, right? I mean, files do go missing in hospitals like this. Yeah. It's not implausible. It might be an older hospital with right. less of a digital. Well, that was it. Like all the computers are crappy old computers. Yeah, so in Ray's head, Dr. Bertram is the guy who can vindicate him because he saw his family mm-hmm. and, like, you know, at least in his mind, right? I and mean, that's what he thinks. And then, the, you know. The- and, you know, the idea is, like, all the hospital, like, this the looks they're giving. All these sort of looks to each other are, only, you know, between the hospital staff are only, again, you know, convincing Ray that they're hiding something, right? It seems all Yeah, it nefarious. seems very, yeah, yeah, like it's – Something right, like even things like the elevator went down, it didn't go up, you know. It's like here's, here's confused again. Yeah. That word comes up right. a lot. It's it's a good through line. Like who do you believe? You believe them, you believe you know, and we screen mm-hmm. the I mean, I think some it's like it's interesting to see, you know, different reactions to the movie in terms of whether people are siding with Ray or siding with mm-hmm. the hospital, just think Ray's a nut. I mean it's sort of the, the the sort of pendulum swings back and forth a number of times in the story. So this is a we're, this is the MRI where they were supposedly taken and given an MRI, but um, and we this silly, but we had to we didn't have an MRI at this actual hospital we shot, so we had to bring in this giant machine that got shipped from oh, wow. Toronto that weighed like five thousand pounds and shifted up to the third floor of this building to put it in place. Is it really and, normally and red? This was like the that? only shot we had of it. Was just threw it through the. Huh? It, That's a real that, MRI machine. Yeah, because that red is. Yeah, That's well, a we, shot. we made it a little funkier, but, you know, uh, could have been a CGI effect, I suppose, but mm. <laughs> saved ourselves a little hassle. So here's Ray in full paranoia mode, like, listen to me, something's not right with this place. And that's the big question. Why, right? Mm-hmm. Like, why would they have done that? Like, unless they're doing it's something to these patients. Her and, beautiful eyes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. She's perfect yeah. victim. Harvest the young organs. And they're, they're being a little flirty again. It's I know. Like, it's just one of those things where it's like, you know, here I am, you know, in a life or death situation. My family's missing. These people are flirting with each other. How dare yeah. they, you know? And, yeah. You know, that sort of frustration with nothing's happening. Not, they're not helping me. Give me some answers. So here, Bertram just (laughs) – it was a little hard to make uh, Stephen menacing, but we tried to put him in a leather jacket to make him a little little darker. (laughs) 
make him appear a little uh, a little in contrast to the way we saw him in the earlier scene where he's sort of you know a country doctor kind of thing this little look is again like is she telling him don't tell him the truth you know like or is it just an innocent look you know Bruce Volk is a good name it's a bit creepy so here we learn like this is the big twist like what you know what like this makes no sense to Ray what we learn is, you know, he's confusing. He's confusing one accident accent. with the other, and and the cops are like, "Okay, this guy's lost his mind." He's, mm-hmm. and if you listen, you can hear a little, you know, sound design of the uh, car accident that killed his first wife and daughter. Her first wife and underborn child, which was his fault. Like yeah. you know, he he was drunk. He was he that guilt is you know you can imagine is probably fueling a lot of this confusion in his mind now. That's a, a fun bit because who has a favorite shell? Periwinkle? Yeah. No, but just having a favorite shell, I think, is interesting. Oh, you don't have a favorite I shell? I don't, I don't really think <laughs> of shells. are really They're, they're beautiful, beautiful but I never thought of, like, having a favorite shell. But the idea is that was something specific that was said yeah. to the doctor that presumably he would have remembered, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like Ray's like, you know, you were there. You heard me. I said her name. And you, I explained this story to you. So this guy, you know, the, the security guard has a good idea. Look, if you were here, then presumably you'll be on videotape with your family, right? So let's just look in, at all the cameras and and find an image of you with the family, and then that'll you'll you'll be in the clear, and we'll know they were here. Now, you know, and Ray thinks, you know, he's trying to like you know point out that this is him arriving. You know, the frustrating thing for him is that the cameras in his mind are always pointing the wrong way, not yeah. or they're not working. So, you know, in his mind, it's the hospital, again, conspiring against him. And even the glitches, like, oh, wow, how convenient. Yeah. You know, right? Every 30 seconds, there's missing, there's missing uh, information. Well, maybe that's when they came in. So mm-hmm. you're not seeing them because of that. So he's always got a plausible explanation in his mind as to why his family's not showing up, say. And, and on, on the, from the hospital's perspective... They're kind of like this guy's nuts. He's yeah. like, there's no one there, you know. Like he's 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 imagining that he's coming. He came in alone, and he even sees himself. You know that kind of moment where he sees himself freak yeah. out. Sort of, he starts to wonder like, You know, again, how convenient is that? Like, they don't record in the areas where his family was. So, you know, but that's true. They wouldn't have. Yeah. You know, it's an actual thing. Privacy issues. So, again, it's like playing with that idea of, like, you know, Ray's got perfectly justifiable reasons for thinking that the hospital is covering something up. And the hospital has perfectly good reasons for thinking Ray's out of his mind. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this, this, is, is, this is a yeah. good moment. He's starting to doubt himself. 
So he's like, okay, well, maybe she's a witness. Mm -hmm. She can vindicate me. Um, You know, she might help. Now, you know, we kind of glossed over the, the, you know, the reality that he saw her in his in his delusion, thought he saw her. So, you know, why wouldn't he ask, doesn't she work here? But the point is that, like, you know, in his mind, he's thinking, like, you know, she can um, she can uh, prove that my wife and daughter, first of all, just exist, and I was with yeah. them, you know? And if they exist, then, they're, then that means that there must here. be missing some. And here's a piece of, you know, undeniable evidence that they were here. For Ray, it's definitive at this point, you know, because that was That's what his daughter scarf. was wearing. Now... We never clearly – this was one part of the movie that I felt we didn't do our due diligence in providing an explanation for, frankly. And that's sort of like, well, how did the – how did the the scarf actually arrive at the hospital if his yeah. family wasn't there? And, I mean, and it should have been better explained. But, there, you know, in, in, in reality, he when he was being examined, it was in his pocket because he took it off his dead daughter's body. Mm-hmm. And – it dropped out some fashion like that could have been better explained because it is kind of a key moment. But in reality, that's that's kind of because this was this was the this was the place where he was examined when he came in alone. Yeah. Um, the you know, the, the scarf fell out and you see him holding the scarf at the end of the movie um, um, in his hand uh, after his daughter dies so you kind of understand he had the scarf with him that whole time but it was a little it's a it's one of the weaker little moments in the story but um confused yeah right exactly they keep trying to tell him how confused he is right he's just like no i'm not yeah he's very resistant i mean what you know sam said is that i have to believe everything i say i have to know i have to believe and 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 be convinced is the truth you know like i can't question my own sanity because my it's my family's that's at stake you know mm-hmm. the finding my family is what's the priority oh this is you got the creepy I know she's a little she's a really great actress this woman I thought in sort of conveying this this sort of uh, this kind of authority but there's something a little bit off about her which is again only only if you builds up Ray's paranoia that she's part of the conspiracy as well you know oh sure how convenient they bring in you know a psychologist to tell me I'm crazy she's part of it she's part of the cover up Mm mm-hmm This is a nice touch with the, uh, like, fractured... Yeah, right behind her head. X-rays behind her. X-rays of fractured bones, you know. See, in his... When he checked in, in reality, he checked in under the... 
delusion that he was checking in after the accident of his first wife and daughter. He's mixing that up. That's what he put in his mm-hmm. in his uh, file. That was what he explained. That's how he explained what happened to the hospital staff. And here's that why question again. Right. And here he's like, you know, looking at her suspiciously, like she might be part of the whole cover up the plot against him. So the real, you know, the truth is that it's the it's the the first accident that's sort of blended in with the accident with Perry and Joanne, and he's mixing things up in his head. Hear the yeah, his reaction here is really something. This is at the heart of it. It's his his awful guilt at having been responsible mm-hmm. for the deaths of his first wife and unborn child that have always, you know, haunted him, I guess. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine if something happened, another accident, how you would refuse to accept it. It can't happen twice. Yeah. You, you know what I mean? It, it's not like, it's just not possible. In your own mind, you would refuse to accept it. You would create some other reality to deal with your trauma. And that's what she's suspecting. That's what Jacob's Mm -hmm. here is beginning to suspect is that Ray's, and she'll say this in the next scene, how she's, but this is a really spooky moment. She's like, they might still be out there. Close up on their faces. Yeah, it's sort of trying to get into their headspace a bit. You know, so at this point, you know, she's making some serious assumptions, but one of them is that Ray's probably responsible for their disappearance, and maybe yeah. the place where he said they, they had the accident is where they they might find some evidence that, of the wife and daughter. Confused again. Be a good drinking game every time they say confused. <laughs> We're not advocating. Here you go. Don't yeah, let's well, not. Oh, yeah. actually turns out to be true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, then they're going to go out there and and see if that's the case. Yeah. And that's sort of him really stating, like, where his brain is. Right. This is what happened. He's not going to... This is what I believe. He's not going to give in to their trying to put doubts into his head. You know, he's fully convinced... But you know there'll be evidence in the crime at the crime scene in this foundation pit that 
are going to start to toy with his own um, his own uh, convictions. We'll there's find that, blood. There's and, that balloon again. Yeah, so the balloon, Showing which is now it. wilting and <laughs> sinking down. Um, it's a creepy sort of bird scream in the background. Yeah. So for me, this is like a weird, creepy moment when he's just like he's looking at the place, which is almost like a grave, right? I mean, the the pit is really a grave, mm-hmm. and maybe in in some ways, there's a there's an inkling of doubt in his brain, probably here that you know, what if there are bodies there? What if I'm wrong? What if what they're saying is or what they're implying really happened? Like I was responsible somehow, or um, so there's a kind of sense of dread. Mm-hmm. This is the third time you see a dog. So you had like the creepy dog at the beginning, yeah. the dog toy, and then now this like this is a good dog. canine unit dog. The name is the name of the actual dog was Chaos for some reason. I don't <laughs> know why they named the dog that finds bodies Chaos, but <laughs> we changed it to Mandy. Seemed a little less, a little more innocuous. There's something, you know, just repulsive about a dog sniffing his daughter's his precious daughter's scarf. Mm-hmm. This and guy I, does not believe him at all. At this yeah, point. he's the he's completely dubious. But here it's kind of like you know approaching the edge of the grave, the pit, you know, and what will be inside there, what will be there, and kind of build a little suspense around that. There's nothing there. At least it doesn't seem like there's anything there. This was all built. We built a pit set hmm. on location in a stage um, in Winnipeg and sort of combined it with our location work. But uh, our production designer, Lauren Krasko, did a pretty great job in terms of making it feasible. The reason we couldn't dig a real pit on location was like you couldn't dig below three feet without hitting water. So we would have had a big swimming pool <laughs> instead, yeah. of, instead of a uh, pit. Yeah, this, this reveals really good yeah so Ray's like holy moly what did they find this is all on location I mean sorry on our stage set and there's the compact so it's like right, the that's whole... the thing that, that's the MacGuffin right that's the thing yeah. that sort of set it off in the first place that's why Perry you know thought she lost it and that seems like a plausible explanation you know, in Ray's mind yeah but then the blood Starts to, yeah, like, mm. you know, this it's a little, it's a pretty big pile of blood. Yeah, like whose blood is it, right? I mean, this is that whole thing where he's starting to struggle for the to explain things. Yeah, he's super suspicious. Right. The other and he's right. That is too much. Officer you know. really wanted to believe right. him. You know, you can see it in her. So here he is. He's this is how off the deep end Ray's gone. Now he starts to think that, you know, they planted it. Like they're all against him. Mm. 
<laughs> she's against him. Like everyone's against Ray. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's this is only it's his only explanation, right? He can't accept the fact that yeah, there's any other explanation. Yeah, exactly. He just will not expect accept any responsibility for an accident. This part is like heartbreaking because you're not 100 percent sure. Like, did he throw the rock at the kid out of frustration? Right. Well, this was a key moment, Especially a, a if tricky maybe he moment. Drank, right? Yeah, I mean, like, I I think, you know, the explanation for us, the real explanation, is meant to be that he picked up a rock to throw at the dog to spook it, spook the dog, right? Um, and maybe in spooking the dog, the dog scared his daughter and she fell back. It was an accident, you know. Mm-hmm. The the tricky thing in this movie was trying to clarify that Ray wasn't culpable in the death of his daughter. He didn't he didn't murder her. He didn't try to kill her. He, he, he was an accident, pure and simple. Um, and that's always been like, you know, there's some, when you watch the film, there's some of that is um, misconstrued. But on a closer, you know, viewing, you realize that... Um, that it was an accident. Um, yeah. And then here, like, but, you know, but what she's doing is she's weaving her own theory about what happened. That, in fact, um, there was no dog, there was no accident, that Ray in cold blood killed his family. You know, this is what she's mm-hmm. assuming and, and, you know, in a big way, she's making a big assumption. But the evidence seems to point to something more like that than it being an accident. So this is like this really happened. Like he did pick up the rock. He did throw it. He didn't throw it at her. Mm-hmm. I mean, he didn't hit her. You know, um, and we'll see later when he sees the dog in a moment that like we replay that same moment. We see him throw the rock, and the rock doesn't hit his daughter. It hits the dog, and so he's like, "I didn't do it. I didn't do what you say. I, what you're claiming I did." But there's a moment here where we're starting to doubt. Ray's beginning to, in his head, he's beginning to doubt um, uh, what he thinks is the truth. And this is the big, this this explanation, there's some things that are so traumatic that we weave alternate r- realities in order to deal with them. That's what Ray's done. He's mm-hmm. created and fabricated a false reality, a false narrative in order to, to deal with the trauma of losing his wife and daughter. You know, like, and see, he. This is what she's claiming, though. She's saying yeah. that he did it purposefully, and willfully, and I like the bit with the police officer because she's clearly seeing that the therapist is a little overstepping. She's she's pushing. She's definitely mm-hmm. she's, she's like definitely leading the witness a bit. Yeah, I mean, leading yeah. quite a bit. But I mean, in some ways, like it's a somewhat plausible explanation given the evidence they found, blood, you know, and his manic behavior. I mean, you know, she's mm-hmm. she's reaching for sure, but. It's not outrageous what she's suggesting. Um, and then Ray's just on lockdown mode. He's just gone deep. He's not – he's just – he can't respond. He can't say she's right. He can't say she's wrong. He's kind of numb really. Um, this was a tough scene for us because – for Sam because there was so much going on. Um, and, you know, does he believe what she's saying? Does he not believe what she's saying? Mm-hmm. Um, has he given up? But then the big moment here, which is like the twist where if she says there was no dog, 
and therefore no accident, and therefore Ray was responsible and murdered his wife and kid, then what is the dog doing there? You know, if that's if the dog There's exists, the dog. Then, then then his version of events, which we see unspool right here, I'm just going to scare her. He throws the rock. It hits the dog. She falls by accident. Like that's in his mind what happened. What happened. And that is what happened. That's the truth. This isn't the truth. She didn't survive. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. like the, that's 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 a fault. That's the delusion. But the reality of, of, of her falling into the pit because Ray, you know, uh, not, you know, consciously, but maybe he's you know, partly responsible because he threw a rock near her and the dog got scared. I mean, it's all a little muddy. Yeah. But the idea is that it was an unfortunate, tragic accident, accident. right? And he's, you know, he, uh, but he still feels that guilt. Mm-hmm. And if you add to that, if you add into that the possibility that he had had a little booze in him and was a little bit, you know, not, you know, fully cogent, then that makes his his uh, responsibility and his guilt that much more amplified, you know. So he locks him into the bathroom. He's now on a roll. This is like Ray being the hero, the right? The real this is hero from that video. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to – you guys are all part of this conspiracy. And he's like, we'll see. I'm going to go prove that you're wrong, that my family exists. You know what I mean? Like he's he's not giving up. And this is him being sort of the um, – the kind of um, unwitting hero of his own story. Like he's, you know, and on the level, you know, if you realize the truth that his family, or his wife and daughter are dead in the back of his car, then then everything he's doing now is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you know I mean? yeah it's insane. And, but and the thing is, from his perspective, he's doing this heroic thing. He's, he's not going to let these people convince him that, his family doesn't exist. And, you know? and maybe if she hadn't gone so far as to suggest murder, he might have accepted the accident. Right. Right. And maybe not she, gone right. into this. She could have. You know, that's mode. true. I think the fact that she blamed him is the thing really, that triggered him, his mm-hmm. defensiveness and saying, I'm, that's not, I'm not responsible for that. You are. You did this. Exactly. I'm just trying to save my wife and kid. Like, that's all I'm going to do. They're in there somewhere, you know. So all this, again, is like this is really happening. This isn't Ray's delusion. This is a man who's on, hell-bent on finding his wife and child and who believes full-heartedly at this stage that they're being held captive somewhere in that hospital, right? That's his conviction at this stage. You know, he's, 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 uh, he saw the dog. He, he, you know, he saw evidence at the crime scene or the, at the accident scene. But all that, in his mind, just supports his own his own interpretation. So here he is, like, you know, continuing to look. Like, he doesn't know where to look. He's just sort of, you know, kind of wandering the hallways looking for some evidence of where they might be. Um, and, you know, this is kind of the frustration of... of uh, Not knowing your circum... Your, like, the hallways, he doesn't know where anything is. Yeah, he doesn't is. know where to go. He, you know, he... This is sort of a, meant this, to be a bit of a, yeah, you know, he's like, okay, yeah, well, I'll at least disguise myself as a grieving, you know, uh, you know, family member looking for going to visit one of my, uh, me or my uh, sick mother or something like that. And you got the yellow the flowers. Yellow flowers, right. And here comes that woman, you know, who he knows would recognize him. Babies. 
And that's like all his fears right there. Right. Protecting his family. So it isn't. So here we finally go into his memory of what happened eight years earlier when he lost his wife and unborn child. And we see Abby, the woman that we've been heard about. You know, and that, you know, the, the line, they're gone, right? Mm-hmm. Both of them. It's nothing could be more horrific than that, you know? And it's almost like his, his new wife is telling him, don't let that happen again. Again, right? yeah. Don't let, don't let us die like the way that your prior wife and child died. Do something, right? You know, he's, he, it's again, it's, you can imagine it's almost like his subconscious uh, driving him um, forward. You know, she's a manifestation of his subconscious. So this is, again, kind of we're into like Ray uh, being clever and, you know, wearing a doctor's. There's our our guy from the (laughs) The dude who was. (laughs) And he's going down to get some medicals, to get some surgery or something. And Ray's, you know, Ray might be thinking like, oh, he's the next organ donor. (laughs) Subtle, but. So he sees the doctor and that weird administrative nurse. Oh, well, she 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 said she was an administrative nurse, but yeah. what she really is is like someone who's part of this conspiracy as well. You know, so again, mixing up delusion and reality is, you know, it's it's uh kind of what's happening. He sees that they are going down to the um lower level, which lower is that. level, yeah creepy area that he's heard that we've heard about and we at this point assume that bad stuff happens down there and there's our there's our little Jeff <laughs> yeah and the kicker for him is he doesn't have a way of getting down there which makes it even more suspect yeah. like why would they only have a key to get down there it's like you know what is what is that level? So how did you end up um, shooting this elevator? Did you like build a fake elevator to get the angles, or we did. This was there wasn't a real elevator in the location, but we built a set so we could uh, do this fight sequence, which was coming up. Um, and we had the, all the walls where you know we could pull or slide mm-hmm. away. Originally, we had the intent was to do it as a single shot, and we did. It was kind of cool. Where the, we never cut, um, but in order to do that, we had to have a set, almost like a, uh, you know, like a Chinese box where we could slide mm-hmm. doors away and the camera could revolve around them because it was obviously a tiny room. Um, ultimately, we decided to cut up the scene and not have it be a single take because it just felt like it was more dynamic to keep it to edit it a little bit, but. There is a version of this fight scene, which, again, is about to happen, that was a single long take, which was kind of cool. But it was very hard to do. This, when it begins here. So up to this point, Ray, you know, hasn't done anything violent or mm-hmm. he's, a, he's not a violent man, you know, Um now you see that he... But here he's willing to go to whatever degree he needs to in order to uh, 
find his family, right? Um, and if that means getting rid of this guy who's seemingly part of the plot, then he'll do it. And from poor Jeff's perspective, he's just dealing with a guy who's yeah, crazy. Yeah, he's trying like, to do his job. He's just trying to, like, protect the other people in the hospital from this so, crazy guy with a gun. Do we think he puts him <laughs> to sleep here, or do you think he kills him here? Well, I mean, I think you could you could maybe imagine he, he squeezes him into unconsciousness, but I think he probably ends up breaking his neck. But So he does have one body on his hand. Yeah. Which is, you know. Jeff. Poor Jeff. You know, he's trying to do so, his this job. Be one, one victim. So now this is another moment. Now, this is a matching moment to what we did in the beginning of the movie after the accident with Perry falling in the pit. Same music, same motif. This is Ray going back into delusion mode. From this mm-hmm. point on, towards the, to the almost to the end of the movie, we're in. We're going back into Ray's head. Okay. We're going back into him imagining, imagining what's going to happen. From this point on, it's the same motif. Things are in are being woven wove into a false narrative by Ray in his delusional state of mind. So he enters down into the lower level, and things are really kind of a little odd now. Things yeah, are a little different. Everything is super bright white down here. Right, unlike the rest of the movie, it just feels like it's some Kubrick hallway or something mm-hmm. with a bright color. You know, the brightness of it. And if you listen closely, the sound on the Muzak playing on the sound speak on the speakers is that silly song over the, uh, uh, the colors of the rainbow song. Oh, you've got that touch angle that yeah, really shows it's a little off, something. right? Oh yeah, the second painted rainbow. There we go. Here's the dog again. So he finally finds what he thinks is the clue that implicates the hospital. His daughter was definitely here. There's the dog. But it's dying, right? <laughs> <laughs> like the music that right. is dying. Yeah. And here are the culprits, or some of them. What are they doing? They got blood all over their. And they have these boxes that organ say boxes. organ, organ, uh, human organ. In fact, those are what it seems kind of fake, but those are what the actual labels on those boxes say. They say human organ for transplant. Mm. So that's an, that's what the an actual box would have looked like. So he's like, okay, well, now they're up to something. What's going on in this room? Um, and, again, keeping in mind that this is all Ray uh, weaving a delusion over re- over reality. These are those two kids. Well, they... we think maybe the idea is, well, maybe this is wife and do- maybe this is wife and daughter, right? Maybe they've had their organs harvested and they're dead on those slabs. But, in fact, it's these two kids. The kids that came in. And, oh, my God, there have been – so Ray's weaving this all together, missing oh, eyes. There's the eyes. So it's all just validating Ray's suspicions that they – this is what the hospital's doing. They're stealing organs. They're they're all part of this organ smuggling conspiracy, right? Um, she's part of it. Everyone's part of it. And he knew it. He knew it all along, right? This is him, mm-hmm. vindic- his vindication – and now he knows that, like, you know, they're down here for sure, his wife and daughter. At the end, we'll see these same moments replayed in a flashback sequence, but they're played in such a way that we realize that 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 that, that um, 
you know, uh, that show that the hospital wasn't part of any organ smuggling ring. Ray was simply had fabricated that conspiracy. And that this girl on the on that his daughter on the uh, operating table is not actually his daughter. He's imagining this. Poor guy. I think the lighting on the doctor in this yeah. sequence is terrifying. It's meant to, you know, be a little obviously make them sinister and a little over the top, but that's sort of again, if you if you imagine this is Ray's yeah. delusional uh this is his delusion, his hallucination, his dream, whatever you want to call it, uh then everything's a little heightened. Yeah. Like with his hands like that. Right. It's So he did it. He found his wife and fam his wife and daughter, so he thinks. He's confused right. again. So gas. Yeah. I kinda know where this is gonna go. Slice <laughs> so not have guns in hospitals. Yeah. Not not good. Yeah, that's the key line too, right? Yeah. He thinks, this is good. I've never felt more clear, right. but it's like, mm. So the monsters grab him, you know, and it's just like. It's really tense. I really like this cue. I think it's very, it's a very uh, rich kind of mournful cue. Yeah. But at the same time, like, He's finally got them, right? He's finally, you know, he, he beat the bat. He beat the monsters into submission and found his family. And, you know, it's sort of sad, I think. I don't know. This is it's, it's, yeah, it's it's kind of really tragic. And you have Dr. Volk well, again. Are, there's like, Volk. That, <laughs> he did it all right, he's right? So <laughs> proud of himself. Yeah. But this is like, you know, he's this is rough. his Bruce Willis moment. He he he's he's he the hero. His family. He's solved the You know what I mean? This is every this is history. all he wanted from the beginning is to be the 
the the good husband, the good father who, you know, is there for his family. And, you know, the music reflects that, right? That sort of sense of pathos and, and like, relief in a way, you know? You know, and it's this even the cheesy kind of are we home yet line. You know, it's just yeah. like he's writing his own script here, his own heroic script for himself, you know. You know, and the awful – if you look closely, you'll see there's no one in the back of that car because there isn't. Yeah. Like this is all – like you know, this 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 part of the movie mixes Ray's delusion with what with reality. You're right. Like we're seeing, um, we're seeing. Uh, and then we get this deep, like sunset color, and it's very different from that like desaturated gray. At the yeah, beginning. yeah, it's a different vibe at the end of the movie. You know, and here he is driving off into the sunset, literally. They're ghosts, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. really what they are here. So now we're about to go in through the looking glass, literally, and into what really happened when Ray went back to the hospital. Um, and it's ghoulish. Yeah, it's... You know, it's like the, it shows you the level of his delusion... You get that. So that we go from we go from again. delusion, and then we enter back into reality. Yes, yeah, this is just that poor kid. It's like he just wanted his appendix out. And then it's the explanation. You know, and these little these are the fractured s- fractured moments. These little cracks in reality where we see reality, and then we see delusion. You know, that's what he imagined. That's what it really was. Nothing there. Yeah. You know, this is what he imagined and in reality it was just a body on a on a slab on a, about to be autopsied. His imagination the truth, you know. And then we kind of reprise what really happened. And now we see the finale. Now we see what happens after the accident. The awful reality that this Harry wasn't. Hit her head. Yeah, she she was bleeding out. Joanne that's was the upset. blood pool. Joanne dies tragically, and that's how he shields himself from trauma, right? And they've been in the car the whole time. And then the the kicker is that that's where they've been, in the little yellow. That sort of is the indicator so, there. Yeah, yeah it's, and there's it's kind of get awful. Little soon balloon yeah. again. It's like no. And this is this is reality. This is like a a flashback to what happened after the accident. The same moment, right? Same cut. Here's the kid, but now you realize that this is where he broke. This is where he created the delusion that his wife and daughter were still alive. I think it's really sad that moment because he looks like he's so hopeful, but you know it's not hopeful. You know. Yeah. Now you know it's not hopeful. You know, and then he he kind of like finishes his song and a little poignant little look back to his ghost family. <laughs> and even the music is meant to be kind of cornball here, you know, like yeah. this is Ray literally driving off into the sun's rise in this case. A new day ahead of him, right? A new life with his wife and child living wife and child things are good he's looking up at the rainbow there that was Sam's idea he sees the rainbow and then this final beat where we just see his face begin to fall because maybe there's a there's a shimmer of him that 
is about to see what really happened, you know? Really like, happened. that's that kind of, like, I wanted to, And that was a lot thing we added. In the original script, he, he just drove off with a smile on his face, right? Mm-hmm. But we tried a version where Sam lost the smile because it keeps it, right? It keeps alive the conceit that maybe he will wake up to what really happened. Yeah. And, I mean, it's awful, but he'll look back and see that there's his wife and daughter are not alive in the back, but are, in fact, bodies. And, that, you know, that awful... That awful epiphany, but ending on a cliffhanger. I mean, it's literally it's sort of like ending on a little bit of a cliffhanger moment. Yeah, where you you just don't know when he'll if he'll ever if he'll ever wait, if he'll ever break out of his delusion yeah. or if he'll just live in his head and in his fantasy forever. Who knows? I mean, at some point he'll get caught, right? But we don't have to go there. Yeah, we don't have to get into the into the the nitty gritty of the ending. So this is a nice sort of way to have the credits. Yeah, I just love this shot. To me, it was just, there's something frenetic about the grass and it's sort of, it's a little, it's beautiful and sort of a little spooky at the same time. Um, and uh, and this was like, you know, it's the, the cold windswept prairie. I don't know, just, it's just something That's, evocative about that know, image. There's lots of tall tales about murder and death on the prairies. The prairies, are, yeah, it's yeah. a haunting place for sure. It's it's a little spooky, particularly in the middle of the winter mm-hmm. <laughs> and cold. This this fits in a nice uh, canon of creepy Winnipeg movies with like my Winnipeg. And oh, really? That um, Guy Madden film. Oh, the Guy Madden, that's right. He was from Winnipeg. You're also right. quite creepy. Yeah. Um, perfect October film Yeah, watching. it's a good, it's actually a good one to watch in October. It's, it fits the, fits the tone of the movie for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So was a lot of this cast that we're seeing, were they cast out of Canada or did you cast from the it was U.S.? It a mix. It was Canada, mostly, or? you know, the, the leads were mostly, uh, I think, from the States. But, um, you know, we cast as much for local talent as we could, you know, um, throughout Canada and, mm-hmm. you know, not just in Winnipeg. But mm-hmm. there's a lot of production in Winnipeg these days, oddly enough. Yeah. How did you end up um, casting Sam in the role? Um, he read it. Um, we went out to him. He was, you know, we had a list as you often do of, you know, people that are, you know, kind of on your, your, uh, your A list or whatever. And he was on that list. Um, we went out to him and, uh, he just loved the project. He was looking to do something that he hadn't really done so much before, like playing a really, you know, a character who, uh, really goes on an emotional roller coaster ride, you know? Yeah, it's. Um, but still has that thing. kind of like the thing that he's maybe more known for, the kind of tough, you know, heroic sort of mm-hmm. part of the character, but a much more vulnerable person. And uh, I think he saw it as an opportunity to uh, to just experiment and try out a different – try out a diff- some different colors. Um, and uh, – and so you know when you meet an, when you meet with an actor who's that enthusiastic about the role and about the story, then you know it's like a sure it's a shoe in. So yeah, it was a yeah, and he really to has to carry quite a bit of this film. You it's have all to. him. Yeah, it's a big. It's a tough. It was mm-hmm. a tough uh, journey that he took, both in the film and literally in in making the movie. It was it was not an easy role for him to go through all that torment and 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 like agony you know that he his character goes through is just a tough one yeah because you have to you've, there's not a lot of moments in the movie where he's just like himself like yeah. a kind of like a, you know neutral he's always like either like paranoid or 
terrified or scared or angry or, or you know what I mean? It's like a tough journey. And you have those scenes where you have the trauma layered on trauma, and he does that really well where you see him processing both traumas at the same time. Right. It's, that's a feat. No, no, he, he really delivered. I was very happy with uh, how he, he, he did that. So did you always have this kind of um, score in mind, or did you try a dip, couple of different scores? Well, Anton Sanko, the guy who did the uh, score for uh, the movie, uh, he had done a score for a, a, a TV uh, movie I did called Sounds Like, which was actually also vaguely similar to this. If you want to see another psychological <laughs> tragedy uh, about a guy who's sort of losing his mind, you should see it. It's called Sounds Like. It was part of a series on uh, – it was part of a, a Showtime series called Fear Itself. Or Actually, no, maybe it's called Masters of Horror. That's what it was called. Anyhow, he did the score for that show, and uh, it was so such a great mix of horror and emotion, and and sort of frankly just sort of beautiful as well in in places that um, uh, I, I I wanted to bring him in for this and uh, and let him play around with it, and I was very happy with the I results. Think it, I think it really works. Thanks. Um, so this was fractured. Yeah, I just watched the whole movie. Uh, do, you, do you have any thoughts you want to leave? viewers with no i just say if you're if this movie intrigues you then and you haven't seen my movie say session nine or the machinist and you like these kinds of movies that are kind of puzzles in a way that you know where you have to kind of follow the clues to sort of uh figure it out in a way then you might want to check out those films they uh they're very uh, in the same uh genre i guess and um it's a genre that i you know obviously enjoy uh, working within um, so uh, this one is sort of the latest iteration of that obsession of mine. <laughs> so that was my movie Fractured uh, on Netflix. Uh, my name is Brad Anderson. I was the director, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. And uh, thank you all again. This is Mariah from Netflix, and uh, thanks for watching. Great. Yeah, it was cool. It was fun. <laughs> <laughs>